Hi, this is Greg from Explorer Maps in Missoula, Montana. We're excited to collaborate with the Trail Less Travel, helping connect people and place through art and storytelling. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Trail Less Traveled, an adventure radio series and podcast dedicated to collecting stories and sounds from around the world in order to take you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. This episode was recorded on location in Zambia. This project was made possible due to the generous contributions of Explorer Maps. Missoula, Montana is a mecca for outdoor enthusiasts, and each week we will bring you tales of adventure from both near and far, as well as information and inspiration and a few tunes to set the mood. You can subscribe to the podcast and learn about our international outreach projects at traillesstraveled.net. And now, here's your host, international expedition guide, conservationist, and yogi, Mandela. We're sitting here on the lower Zambezi River. There is a family of elephants right in front of us. That's right. I see Impala, the great wide Zambezi. Looking out, I think I see a couple of hippos in the distance. It's a lovely place to sit down. <laughs> it is a lovely, <laughs> lovely place to sit. And we are at Chiawa Camp. That's right. Juliet, thank you so much for agreeing to let me sit down with you and hear your story. Thank you so much. So my first question for you is about your childhood. All right, so my name is Juliet Musesa Zulu. I was born and raised in Lusaka for the better part of my early years. My dad worked uh, for the Intercontinental Hotel in Zambia. They had uh, two hotels, one in Lusaka in the capital and another called Musiotunya in Livingston. And uh, my mom worked for the office of the president. And um, my dad was born on the upper reaches of the Zambezi in the northwestern part of Zambia, hardly a kilometer from where the Zambezi River rises. And uh, the river Zambezi then goes into Angola and then uh, back into Zambia, where it comes back into Zambia in the floodplains of the Zambezi, uh, very well known as the floodplains of the Bulozi, is where my mother was born and raised. And after spending a lot of my childhood in uh, Lusaka, uh, involved in uh, conservation, started in primary school, I was in a conservation club called the Chongololo uh, Club, and we learned about uh, wildlife and uh, the protection of it, most of it uh, having been motivated by our then president, Kenneth Kaunda. And so um, we traveled a little bit in the uh, countryside, learning about the insects and the birds and uh, also some of the animals that one can be able to, um, to see in the country. And um, in high school, um, I had the pleasure to travel um, because I was in the performing arts. And uh, so I made my first visit to Livingston um, as an artist and uh, fell in love with the Victoria Falls. And uh, two years after my first visit to uh, Victoria Falls, my mother uh, was transferred to Livingston. And uh, that was uh, the beginning of a journey that has uh, spanned uh, over 30 years, where um, I joined the tourism industry, having started at the Intercontinental Monsieur Tunia Hotel, where I first worked as a hostess. 
and um, I, I worked through the ranks uh, within the Intercontinental Hotel uh, group. And um, one of my early memories um, of the Victoria Falls as uh, sitting on the terrace waiting uh, for guests to arrive from the various activities and all I hear in the distance is a roar of the thunder of the falls, the water cascading down the Victoria Falls and this mighty thundering sound and uh, it's a sound that one must experience, it's something that one cannot explain and um, that was really the beginning of my love affair with the Zambezi and um, over the years I moved uh, from the Victoria Falls itself um, at the Musitunya Intercontinental Hotel. I moved about 18 kilometers upriver to Tongabezi area where I worked there in the industry at one of the prime camps there called Tongabezi and Sindabezi Island. Then I moved uh, to Susianchuma, steadily following the Zambezi. And uh, then uh, now I find myself here in the beautiful lower Zambezi an area which David Livingstone once remarked had more wild animals than he had ever seen in all his travels. And today this is where I get to share a wonderful safari experience to travelers that are coming to this part of the world. Juliet, it brings me a lot of joy to hear you mention the conservation clubs. Right. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about conservation clubs all of that. I was born in Lusaka, but um, culturally for us, holidays was going back to the village. And so, like I said, my mother hails from the western part of the country. Our holidays were in uh, Kaoma. Kaoma borders the Kafue National Park. My earliest memories of the human-animal conflict really comes in from hearing that family members had been killed by elephants. And after that, it was a different thing. It was our families having been killed by conservationists that were protecting elephants because some of our people had turned into poachers. China suddenly had opened up uh, a market and a lot of our people were now involved in uh, killing elephants and selling off their tasks. It was a tough time in the sense that, you know, you have loss uh, of a loved one. But um, being in contact in the city, being in contact with uh, conservation, opened uh, my eyes closely to why it was important for us to conserve. But it also coincided with the coming in of WWF in our country, particularly in the Kafue National Park. In our conservation clubs, we learned about a gentleman called David Shepard. And uh, David Shepard drew the most amazing pictures, which he auctioned, and the money was brought back into our country for conservation. And the poachers were using sophisticated weaponry, where they were killing animals, particularly elephants, but also killing the people that were protecting these animals. Suddenly, we realized that something had to be done about it. And um, our people were sensitized with the coming in of David Shepard. We saw some of our very people that were poachers now being turned into conservationists. The reason is that uh, much as they killed these animals, they did not use the money wisely because the government of the time 
always questioned if somebody suddenly had so much money, where did it come from? And so for fear of being penalized, a lot of our people realized that what they were doing was wrong in indiscriminately killing animals. And it was everything from elephants right through to rhinos. And I know tales that are told in my family of people from our villages in Kaoma going all the way to the Chobi National Park, crossing to here, the Lower Zambezi crossing into Manapos to kill elephants and rhinos. But with the work of David Shepard uh, with the WWF, uh, World Wildlife Fund, we saw a change where our people began to be sensitized. Suddenly they realized that in them helping conservation and protecting our animals, they were able to finally get jobs that Whatever money they got, they were able to use, take the children to school without hiding that money. It was good, clean money, and it could do something for our communities. That was the beginning of what perhaps we have today, where we are protecting what we have jealously, and our young ones are being taught through the conservation clubs, but also through community partnerships going on between the communities as well as conservation groups that are working in the various national parks across the country. And so today our people are much more informed, yes, still dealing with the animal-human conflict, but in a different way where some measures have been put in place to protect their crops and also to give alternative livelihoods where they are now able to get money instead of going to kill animals in the national parks, they're able to get money from whether it is fish farming or vegetable growing or whether it's money that has been realized from growing chilies as one of the measures that has been put in for uh, elephants, for example. So there's quite a lot of interesting things that are going again, going on. We've got uh, beehives uh, in the villages. People are being taught to keep bees. Elephants don't like bees. And from the beehives, they're able to sell honey, um, which is one, creating uh, you know good health in the villages, but at the same time being able to give them some extra monies that will help sustain their, their families uh, instead of them going and killing the animals, the very animals that are meant to you know, give us a better livelihood from the jobs that are being uh, created through the tourism industry. That's the voice of Juliet Musesa Zulu, and we're talking about conservation here in Zambia. And as we talk about conservation, we are looking at a family of elephants, and I would think that this is a group of females. That's right, with the young ones, that's right. Can you tell us a little bit about elephants since we have them standing in front of us right now? The elephants are wonderful creatures. I like to say they're very much like us. They have feelings and uh, the family unit is very important. Gentle giants, as we say, uh, we give them their space, they give us our space. Yes, in some areas where encroachment has happened, we're having to find ways in which to be able to survive. The humans uh, making sure that they leave corridors for the elephants to pass because elephants respect their corridors going way, way back. Where their ancestors passed is where they want to pass as well. And so creating these corridors for, so that the elephants can pass without interfering with the humans is something that is a work in progress. Yes, occasionally we do get people that may have come ac- across an angry bull elephant, maybe an elephant in mast, 
and it would be agitated by anything. And so some people have been killed, but all the people are being taught to make sure that we live in harmony with the wildlife that is around us. And so do not put ourselves in a situation where the animal will have to retaliate. A lot of the communities are learning to adapt to be able to do this. While animals are animals, we human beings, we've been given the means and the power to be able to avoid unnecessary situations. This is the only thing that we can be able to hope for. Yeah. Juliet, would you please share a song with us that reminds you of your early years? Well, I have a favorite song. <laughs> well, this song is a song that was sung quite often for our first president, Kenneth Kaunda. He is very, very well known for championing everything, conservation, and also supporting our cultural existence as a people. And uh, the song basically is in praise of the great rivers that we have in this country, the Zambezi being one of them. This song I have used before to share my support towards refusing the valley to host a mine that has been purportedly announced is a mine that we've been fighting to be built here in the Lower Zambezi National Park. The song is in Nyanja, one of the local tribes here in Zambia, and the song goes like this. Onani malu andi mitengo kuwama Onani nsombaza zambezi Onani malu andi mitengo kuwama Ziko la zambia ndila pamwamba Zambia ziko la tate Kaunda na titi salitae Angankale achite bwanji adani Loa zambezi ni apamwamba So that song praises the beauty of the Zambezi and all the water bodies that Zambia has. All the fish the animals, the birds that is supported by the great river systems. Explorer maps and the trail less traveled bring cartography to life through storytelling, conservation, culture, history, and art. The shared vision between Explorer maps and the trail less traveled feels incredibly natural and full of great synergy. This exciting new collaborative partnership opportunity quickly evolved as we discovered the deep family roots we mutually share in both Africa and Montana. We invite you to travel the world with us as we bring cartography to life through storytelling, conservation, culture, history, and art. As members of 1% for the Planet, Explorer Maps donates a percentage of proceeds from every product sold to a variety of nonprofit organizations around the world. All of these organizations have similar missions as we do, focused on the conservation of wildlife and wild places. To date, Explorer Maps has donated more than $150,000 to more than 40 different organizations since they began in 2012. Through this unique relationship between Explorer Maps and the trail less traveled, we will continue our commitment toward connecting people and place by raising awareness for the conservation of our public lands.
you can get involved by supporting Explorer Maps, a small, family-owned business based in Missoula, Montana, with over 60 hand-drawn story maps. And be sure to use promo code MANDELA when visiting explorermaps.com. All right, so we are sitting on the banks of the mighty Zambezi River, lower Zambezi to be specific. We are sitting on our balcony here at Chiawa Camp and uh, looking out, we are right on the edge of the water and there's a lovely bank and on the bank there's some warthogs and there's about four warthogs that are grazing on their knees, grazing on some grass. We also have a family of elephants. Um, looks like there's three mums and two little ones. Some beautiful mahogany trees along the edge of the water and some winterthorn trees too. A couple of termite mounds litter the sandbank. We also have a dry riverbed before us. And on the one side of the bank is uh, gigantic mahogany trees. And ahead of us, the mighty Zambezi spreads itself. We're looking out to the hills towards mana pools. On the islands, I can see some uh, elephants in the distance. And if I'm not mistaken, some hippos as well. That's right. Uh, so that's what we're seeing. Yeah. And a blue sky, <laughs> blue African sky with some lovely clouds. Yeah. Beautiful. Juliet, this country is known for having an abundance of wildlife and smiles, right. as well as copper. Right. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of copper mining in this country and the proposed Kangalue mine, which is just right. downstream of where we sit right now? Right. Okay, the history of copper mining goes way back um, to the early days. That's what brought in the Stanleys and other explorers of not and that ended up staying in the Katanga region of what today is known as the Congo. Zambia has had its fair share of copper deposits around the country. It is the mineral that powers the economy of Zambia. It has gotten its uh, strengths, but also its problems. It's uh, one of the problems that we have in the copper belt of Zambia, where the most copper mines are, is the air pollution and water pollution. We are here in the Lower Zambezi, which is a world heritage site on the other side of the river. And we have a shared river between, uh, flowing between Zambia and Zimbabwe. And the mine, proposed area for the Kangalui mine is not so far away from here. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it's about 50 kilometers away from one of our closest camps, which is Old Mondoro. We in the valley and a lot of other people in the country do not want this mine to go ahead. Currently it has been put to hold, but we're still not very, very certain for how long the halt has been. There's been an injunction that has been put down because the investors have not followed their environmental impact assessment plans that they had put forward. So we're still not so certain whether our laws and Zambezi is safe at all. We're still just waiting for news. But our worry has always been that this borders a World Heritage Site. What better way to honor this side of the river than to declare it a World Heritage Site too? Because we share 
everything. The waters that flow between the two rivers are exactly the same. And the elephants are moving from one bank to the other. And if this water is polluted, the World Heritage Site also gets to get affected. And so our hope is that UNESCO should be able to look into this and be able to think about being able to make the Lower Zambezi Valley a national heritage, just as Manapools is a protected area. would like to be able to one day see that this area is also protected, like being able to open it up to copper mining, which will be able to disturb the very thing that we have been protecting on the other side of the river. Let's head upstream. Right. You and I have a background in whitewater. Right. I would love to talk to you about running the Batoka Gorge, the Zambezi River, some of the biggest and most certainly the best I've experienced whitewater rafting in the world. Right. You were a high sider. That's right, yeah. One of the things that we did when I worked for the Intercontinental Hotel before it closed its doors to the new hotel that's there now was uh, be able to have an opportunity to jump on any rafting trip if they didn't get enough high siders and join in and, uh, and raft along. The story of the Badoka Gorge has been going on for many, many years. But uh, what is the problem that it will cause? It will be able to shut down the biggest white water ever in the world. People will no longer be able to do their white water rafting, and so people will lose their jobs, for one. But also the country, Zambia and Zimbabwe, will lose revenue that they've been getting over the years from the presence of the white water rafting companies on both sides of the river, whether on the Zimbabwean side or on the Zambian side. That is one of the biggest things that we, we worry about. And not only that, we also have a lot of people that are living in the Batoka Gorge area who farm, and once the dam is put up, it's going to disturb their very livelihoods because with the damming of the water, they'll no longer be able to farm as they have been doing. And already the area is quite a, a difficult area where agriculture is concerned. So it will pose another problem for the people. History already taught us when the Kariba Dam was put up, it displaced a lot of people. And up to now, some families have not recovered from that. And uh, we do not really want to see another operation that is going to displace our masses, uh, our people, like it did when uh, the Kariba Dam was built. Mm -hmm. Okay, so to be a high-sider, in the olden days, the rafts, the whitewater rafting rafts, would hold a certain number of people. But if on a particular day you have only a few people that are going whitewater rafting, then the rafting company will get some people, quite often it used to be young men and some women sometimes, mm -hmm. from the local village, which is Mukoni village or Songo village, and they'll be sort of waiting to find out whether there will be an opportunity for them to jump in and high side. And high siding basically is uh, where the rapid hits is where all, you all lean again so that the raft does not turn, but in turn giving you one of the most thrilling experiences on the mighty Zambezi whitewater rapid. Yeah. I did flip twice the other day, so oh, my, there you my, go. my high side didn't work, but there was oh, only no. four of us in the boat, That's so right. it was a boat. You really needed more yeah. high siders. Yeah. I can only throw my weight around so Right. <laughs> but let's talk about mythology. Let's talk about Nyami Nyami. Right, right. Okay, so the story goes, there is a god that protects the Zambezi. And so the Nyami Nyami is the Zambezi River God. And when you're on the upper reaches of the falls, 
he controls the whole of that area coming all the way to the Kariba Dam. And mythology has it that Nyami Nyami did have a wife and that she is on the lower reaches of the river and has been separated by the construction of the dam. And it is said that on occasion you'll actually feel the rumble of the dam because when the two miss each other, they hit against the dam to try and get to each other. And some people have told stories of people taking photographs of the rainbow and they've gotten back home and once they've developed those photos, there's been the body of the Nyami Nyami in the rainbow. In terms of sightings, I don't know of anyone that has really sighted the Nyami Nyami, but there are strong stories that the Nyami Nyami does exist. And there is an image that we all carry of what the Nyami Nyami looks like. And some people think that it looks now like an old man. He's got a beard and he's got a snake-like face and fangs uh, like a snake, but he's highly revered. A lot of us that will traverse this river will always want to have a talisman and it will be an image of the Nyami Nyami that you can buy from the local artists that will protect you when you're on the, on the waters of the Zambezi. Yeah. But Yami Yami isn't down here in the lower? Here is the wife. It's the wife. That's right, What's on the upper name? parts. I don't know what the wife is. That Some people just say donor fish. They call her donor fish. And when we get to the main area, I'll be able to show you the image of the donor fish in the main Sitenji uh, area. Right. So it's half human and half fish. We are sitting on the edge of the lower Zambezi River with Juliet Musesa Zulu. I am going canoeing now, but it's not time for a song. Well, I will sing about our way of life. And the song is called Kong Kong Ko Pachulu. And it goes like this. Kong Kong Ko Pachulu Kong Kong Ko Pachulu Akalume Kepi Akalume Kepi Ukubi Povukwa Yelelo Akalume Kepi Ukubi Povukwa Yelelo Nai minina pachulu, nai minina pachulu, na tukavonse ye, na tukavonse ave na mwandi yelelo, na tukavonse ave na mwandi yelelo, chinseve kwa kamusevo. We're sitting on the edge of the Zambezi River with Juliet, and I want to talk to you now about the role of women in tourism here in Zambia. All right, so the role of uh, women in tourism has uh, changed over time. And for a very long time, the tourism industry was uh, men-oriented. We had a lot of men working. And uh, the tourism sector is uh, divided. We've got uh, the safari side, and then, of course, we've got the hotels that are within the cities. However, on the safari front, women were missing out. However, today, the trajectory has changed. More and more women are joining the tourism industry. And what do they bring to the table? 
For me, they bring the warmth of the country. When women are given a responsibility, they are able to execute it to the fullest, and uh, there's nothing more welcoming, particularly for uh, female travelers, than to find a fellow woman welcoming them into the country or into the camp. And what are our, our roles? Uh, for a long time, women were given uh, lesser roles. Mostly it was housekeeping where they were cleaning the rooms and uh, in some cases never even seen by guests. But today they're the ones that are the warmth of the country as they share the beauty of their land. And here at Chiawakam, for example, there's two women that are at the helm. Myself and my colleague Tarisai are welcoming our guests into this country, joining the men folk. And one of the big things that we'd like to see in the near future is to also have uh, more women guiding, because at the moment we still just have men in most places. Uh, women where they are involved, like in the Livingston area, for example, of Zambia, Victoria Falls, they are just transfer guides. But very rarely do we have them actually guiding and that is perhaps for us the future to be able to find female guides guiding guests and taking them around uh, around our country also you have an opportunity to learn more of uh, the country from the perspective of women we are the ones that give life and uh, for a lot of our guests that come to this country it's not just about the wildlife it's about the culture our way of life how do we handle birth how do we handle coming of age how do we handle marriage and how do we handle general life in general and so the women have always been the ones that are apt to be able to bring it out um, the way it is and uh, to be able to share their stories and add to um, the beauty of this country in who, who the people are. Yeah, I think the role of women has grown now. We've got more women that are in uh, travel agencies, for example, that are selling this country to uh, to the world, and they do a fantastic job. And I would like to see more women in management being able to manage and run lodges. Yeah, Juliet, I am training to guide on the Zambezi and the whole crew was very excited because I was the only woman. None of them could think of another woman who was currently guiding on the Zambezi. I asked and they said the last one was about 15 years ago, who's a friend of mine, actually I know her. But it's not just like that in Zambia. I found that in guiding I'm often one of just a few women, but it is slowly, slowly becoming more equal. That's right. We hope that we can be able to get more women to be able to do these jobs. In the safari camps away from uh, from the cities, of course, it has been extremely difficult uh, for the women because they are the ones that raise families. And so that is one of the things that uh, had cut them over time. But more and more camps are being very, very cautious not to take away the families, split the families. And so, I mean, I work for four weeks and then uh, for a week I'm at home. And I spend five months at home catching up with my family. I think every woman can try and afford that in order to add value to what we offer in tourism. Mm -hmm. yeah. Juliet, let's talk about Zambia as a travel destination. Right. To those of you that are listening, Zambia is a beautiful country with very, very warm people. And when you think Victoria Falls, we are on the other side of Victoria Falls. And uh, for those that are old school, we are the other Rhodesia. There were two Rhodesias and we are the other Rhodesia. And we are 
over 10 national parks are strong. In fact, one of our national parks can fit in three European countries. That's how huge the potential of our tourism is. And uh, it's everything from water bodies right through to adventure activities as well as the people. Zambia is known for its wonderful ceremonies where one can be able to interact with the locals and learn their way of life and diverse cultures from the Lozi people, very well known for their migration from the lower lands during the floods, moving up, up to highland in a beautiful, beautiful barge with over 300 paddlers and a flotilla of small boats with every household in a boat with their little family and their pet dog and all the belongings that they have in their little boat and so you have hundreds of these little boats on the river following this huge barge black and white in color very very colorful red hats the men are wearing as they paddle and sing along and uh, you move to the eastern part of the country and uh, meet uh, the Ngoni tribe who are warriors that share their culture in a different form and it's very very colorful I come from the western part of Zambia and my people are known for their masquerades and uh, these are very very colorful masquerades that are instructors in life and each one of them tells a story and when our people move uh, remember where we came from it's something that is beautiful to watch and it's something that I would like the whole world to come in and see and there are so many other traditional ceremonies right at Victoria Falls we've got the Tokalea tribe that go and pay homage to the Victoria Falls and this is in a colorful ceremony every year in December it culminates into the most amazing of dances and uh, it is a rain-making ceremony and the heavens do open and it rains so yes it's so much that one can be able to see, not only to see the falls, for example, for what it is, but also to be able to enjoy what it means to the local people. Mm -hmm. So yes, Zambia is endowed with so much, and it's everything from the big five right through to the most amazing birds. We've got the shoebill stalks uh, for those that love birds. We've got the biggest bat migration in the country. We've got the second largest uh, wildebeest migration in the country. We've got just about so many. If you're talking about walking safaris, being able to walk in nature, close to nature, uh, Zambia is the pioneer of walking safaris. Yeah, there's just so much more. You just have to come. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Wonderful. Juliet, what is one thing that living in the bush has taught you? Living in the bush has taught me to appreciate nature every day, from our waking right through to the time that we go to bed. We've learned not to take anything for granted because when we look around us, we see the animals interact. I like the elephant and uh, I take a leaf from the elephants. They care for one another. I also love to watch the wild dogs, which the Lower Zambezi is very well known for, and guests coming to us have had wonderful opportunities to see wild dogs, to see them care for one another, be able to collect food for those that are not there, and be able to serve it to them. It's something that makes me think that all of us can be better people. Yeah. Juliet, what's your dream for the seventh generation? Seven generations from now, I would like to be able to see white rhinos roam our national parks. I would like to see black rhinos roam our national parks. I would like to see pangolins everywhere. I would like to be able to see uh, this 
wildlife resource grown to great uh, capacity. I'd like for there to be a good park management uh, policy that will ensure that even for those seven generations from now to be able to work with, to make sure that even those that are yet to come can come and enjoy what we're enjoying now. Mm. Yeah, we have lost elephants before and now the numbers are growing. We've lost white rhino and black rhino. This is the battle that we're fighting to make sure that the numbers grow. Pangolins, every day I'm making sure that we're protecting. We've got wild dogs. The numbers in the wild have been going down, but there are interventions to work towards making sure that these animals do not disappear. I would like our great, 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 great grandchildren to be able to say, we did a good job, yeah. What advice would you share with whoever's listening out there? With whoever is listening right now, Africa still has got it, yeah. We, <laughs> we have the rivers, we have the wildlife, we have the animals, we have the people, and Africa cares. Africa cares. Africa certainly cares, and I hope that the world starts to care. That's and, right. and, and pays attention to what's happening in Africa with the resources. Exactly, that's right. And advocating on behalf of African communities and African wildlife. That's right. Yeah. If you're listening over in the United States and you think that the potential extinction of keystone species like elephants won't affect you, I think you're gravely mistaken. That's right. Yeah. We can't become a part of a generation that allows these animals to go extinct. Exactly. What song would you like to end your show with? Well, I didn't really prepare a song in the show. My appeal is to UNESCO, the United Nations, to consider making the Lower Zambezi a World Heritage Site. Across on the other side, we have Manapools. It is protected. And if we are to achieve in making sure that seven generations from now, these animals will roam free and in great numbers, that consideration has to be attended to. Mm -hmm. That is my appeal, and that is my song. I love it. Zikomo. Zikomo. Thank you. Mlibwanji, Missoula, Mandela here, your host of The Trail Has Traveled. This evening's episode was recorded on the edge of the Lower Zambezi River on the Zambia side. We were staying at Chiowa Camp, and I'd like to extend gratitude to Juliet, who set aside time to share her story with me while sitting near the river mouth watching elephants. The Trail Less Traveled is dedicated to collecting stories and sounds from around the world, taking you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. The show premieres every Sunday evening at 6 Mountain Time, and you can stream it at trail1033.com. If you missed the premiere, the show is also a podcast, available everywhere. You can follow the show as it's recorded on location around the world by visiting traillesstraveled.net. I would like to extend gratitude to Explore Maps. They were the ones who sponsored my project in Zambia, where I documented stories from the front lines of conservation with Game Rangers International. Since they started, Explore Maps has donated over $150,000 to conservation efforts around the world. 
which makes me really excited to continue working with them in the future. Well, this is the first of the Zambia series that I am sharing with you, and I very much look forward to sharing other stories featuring conservationists, rangers, researchers, farmers, river guides, and fellow radio DJs from my time recording on location in Zambia, which is a country located in southern Africa, surrounded by Tanzania, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Angola, Namibia, Botswana, Zimbabwe, Malawi, and Mozambique. If you are interested in getting involved with conservation efforts in Zambia, I encourage you to look into the three-week volunteer program with Game Rangers International. During those three weeks, you'll take a deep dive into the holistic approach to conservation implemented by Game Rangers International. This includes community outreach, resource protection, and wildlife rescue. Again, please visit GameRangersInternational.org to learn more. I'm very grateful to be back in the Missoula community. Remember, you can find me most days at the Explore Maps store located on the corner of 3rd and Nines. If you have any interest in coming and talking to me about travel, adventure, or just simply looking over some maps, I sincerely hope to see you soon. And one last shout out I want to give is to Float Missoula. Even after all these years, winter isn't my favorite time of year in Missoula, but the float tank at Float Missoula sure helps. My adventure tip this week involves crocodiles. Up until recently, I thought the crocodiles in the whitewater section of the Zambezi were small, meaning six feet or shorter. Recently, during my time on the Zambezi River, I found out that, in fact, there are very large crocodiles in the whitewater section of the Zambezi, Allegedly, the government recently removed more than a few 15-foot crocodiles from the whitewater section. So, my adventure tip is, should you flip or get separated from your boat, try your very best to get back on that boat, reflip it, and continue on your journey downstream, because not a very good idea to hang out in crocodile-infested waters for longer than need be. Well, that is it for this week's adventure, my friends in Missoula and around the world. But until next week, please remember, conservation is not a spectator sport. Living in Missoula is a privilege. With privilege comes responsibility. Get informed, get engaged, and use your voice on behalf of wildlife and wild places. And if you think you're too small to make a difference... You've never spent the night with a mosquito. This evening, I'm going to end the show with the story of the Tonga people and how their life was affected by the construction of the Kariba Dam on the lower Zambezi River. The Kariba Dam controls 90% of the total runoff of the Zambezi River, thus changing the downstream ecology dramatically. The creation of the reservoir forced resettlement of over 57,000 Tonga people living along the Zambezi River on both sides. 
the plight of the people displaced by the Kariba Dam remains one of the worst dam resettlement disasters in African history. Many of these people were relocated to degraded lands prone to drought, which resemble the edge of the Sahara Desert. Here we have African Program Director for International Rivers, Rudo Sanyanga, who tells the powerful story about the Tonga people of the Zambezi River. May we learn from mistakes of the past and work together to prevent the proposed Batoka Dam farther upstream. There was a community called the Tonga, and it lived in Kariba Gorge, somewhere along the Zambezi. The gorge was beautiful, and they grew crops and raised livestock in that gorge. Uh, some 60 years ago, some men without knees arrived and they offered the Tonga to leave their beautiful land because they were going to build a huge dam, a huge dam which was going to be the biggest in the world and was going to flood the Tonga land. The Tonga people resisted, but the men brought trucks and forced them uh, to other lands which were uphill. They separated the families with one family living south of the river and the other north of the river. The Tonga god, who was called Nyami Nyami, was not happy with this. The men without knees, however, started the construction and halfway through the construction, the Tonga god became very angry. Nyami Nyami caused huge floods that washed away the dam that was being constructed and killed approximately 196 people working on the construction. The men without knees, however, persisted. Uh, when the floods resided, they came back and build, started building all over, building a much stronger wall, a much higher wall. And five years later, the dam was constructed, completed, and filled. The Tonga people continued being unhappy. They were suffering and living in poverty in the lands that they had been abandoned. The god still is very angry, and he occasionally causes tremors to show his anger. The Tonga people believe that uh, one day you'll cause a huge flood and the dam wall will be washed away and they'll be able to reclaim their land and to reunite with their family and live happily ever after.